several other problems, and it really does not make sense that something that would be as highly classified in affecting national security as the original 1947 film should leak its way through a musician in England to the BBC on a, and then be reported on a talk show and then bounce back to the Fox network in the United States. This I is agree. very odd. Mm -hmm. And especially, why would an alien body taken from a craft be draped in a cloth? It would seem that the whole point would be to document what the body actually looked like. Well, anyway, it may be theatrics, it may be disinformation, or we may be at the first beginnings of the crack in the history of this contact or intrusion by some other non-human intelligence on our planet. Well, I'm, I'm going to hope for the latter. And in along those lines, I reported last Sunday that a woman who uh, had a uh, very close friend who worked in the Central Intelligence Agency as an engineer uh, said that in 1987 that agency was developing using alien technology that they had studied and recovered from crash disks, that they were trying to develop a technology that could, would uh, make it possible to have aerial vehicles, planes or other, disappear or become invisible by affecting the cones and rods in the human eye. Well, after that report last week, I received a phone call from a family in Denver, Colorado. Their house is very near the edge of Stapleton Airport. And one year ago, on Friday, January 24, 1994, the mother and her two teenage children who had already seen uh, helicopters that were large and black and sometimes hovering or going over their house, they had become aware of this sound and they were used to running out to see what it was. Well, on this morning, Friday, January 24th, 1994, the mother and the two teenagers saw two large black helicopters disappear right while they were standing in their front yard. And now I'm going to let you hear the eyewitness accounts of the mother and her son. All right, here it comes from Linda Howe in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Here comes the report. But the morning that this happened, we had been seeing them every Friday morning. Okay. And it had probably happened two weeks, two weeks in a row that we had seen them. And we were, we homeschool our children, and we were sitting down doing school, and we heard helicopters. So it was, the sky was clear blue, but there was snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. So we went out, we had a sliding glass back door, and we went out um, and stood on the back porch, and we were searching the sky for the helicopter. Mm -hmm. And we saw one, and then in the distance, so that it appeared very small, like a fly. Right. We thought there was another one. Um, so two black helicopters coming towards you. Yeah. And you... Well, we didn't know for sure that the other one was a black helicopter, but this one was close. We thought it was definitely black. Uh, it flew right over the house. And you and your children both were watching it, so there are three of you watching. Uh-huh. And when it flew over the house, what happened next? It disappeared. Okay, now tell me what you mean. We were watching it, 
it was going up um, at the it I couldn't see it at the same time that I couldn't see it I couldn't hear it it didn't fly below the tree line it was just not there okay so you but were your eyes on it the whole time yes I, I the kids and I we were standing out there and I said you know I could have blinked <laughs> and, and did, did the kids simultaneously saw the same thing happen yes they mom where did it go huh so it's flying along and it's making noise and you all three see it and then in a microsecond you don't hear anything or see anything right now what about the second helicopter probably the kids could tell you more about the second Sorry. one i was i was quite flipped out about the helicopter just disappearing right i kept I went and got binoculars, um, did a lot of visual scanning, just there was nothing. All right. Well, is either of your children there that I could yes. talk? Hello? What? What is your name? Daniel. Daniel, how old are you? Eleven. Have you ever seen anything like that before? No. And just on Star Trek. Okay, just on Star Trek. Now, did you turn around to look at the second helicopter? Yeah. What happened now? It disappeared just like the first one. Okay, tell me you're looking at the second helicopter, and tell me what's, what's happening while you're watching it. Flies straight over us and then goes towards where the trees are. Right. And then south, and then... In a few seconds, it just disappears. Well, what what were you thinking at that point, seeing two helicopters having disappeared? I was thinking that, yeesh, I wonder if they, what next, disappearing bicycles? <laughs> so did it scare you? No. Surprised me, though. Wow. That's interesting, Artie. Wow, Linda, that really was something. I know, because this is a, a family in Denver, uh, right out in their yard, who all of them see two large black helicopters simply blink out right in front of them. And what I think also is interesting is that they all agreed that simultaneously the loud sound would popped out immediately. And I wonder, question mark, is this U.S. military technology or is this some sort of alien device in disguise? It's got to be one of the two, I would guess. So right now, I appeal to our continuing dreamland audience if there's anybody out there who has any professional information or knowledge about this new technology for essentially using invisibility in some way to camouflage moving vehicles in the sky by either affecting the cones and rods in the human eye or as one person suggested deflecting photons so they do not reach the human eye uh, also this uh, shutting off of the sound, I would certainly appreciate it if you would get in touch with me 
Linda Howe at Post Office Box 538 in Huntingdon Valley, Pennsylvania. And the zip code is 19006. And maybe, Art, at, at the more points in the program, you can also give that address out again. Yes. Do you want to give out your fax number? Yeah. My fax number is area code 215-491-9840. And I think I should add, if there's anybody listening who has any information, uh, true uh, information about the, the possible veracity or other of this 1947 Roswell film and you want to talk with me confidentially, please uh, get in touch with me also. As always, a fascinating report. Linda, yes. thank you. Thank and we'll you, talk Art. to you next week. Uh, that's Linda Howe from Philadelphia. And that was a remarkable report. That was really a remarkable report. And uh, we're going to follow this up with uh, Mr. Davenport, uh, who's coming on next, Peter Davenport. And he is in charge of, I guess, the uh, National UFO Reporting Center, located in Seattle, Washington. So we will ask him about the report we just heard, ask him if he's seen or heard anything like it in just a moment. You're listening to Dreamland. Many of you health... The National UFO Reporting Center, located in Seattle, Washington was founded in 1974 by Mr. Robert Griffin. He served as director until July of 94. That's 20 years. The center's primary function over the last two decades has been to receive, record, and to the greatest degree possible, cooperate and document sighting reports from individuals who have been witness to unusual, possibly UFO-related events. The principal means used by the center to receive sighting reports has been its telephone hotline, area code 206-722-3000, 206-722-3000, which has operated almost continuously since 1974. During that tenure, the hotline has received and processed Many tens of thousands of calls, most of which are cataloged and available upon request for research and other purposes. Several other facets of the center and its affiliated hotline have contributed to its international re uh, reputation. The fact the hotline is staffed 24 hours a day makes it available at any time. Uh, the deciding might occur. In addition, the center's independence from all other UFO-related organizations combined with its long-standing policy of guaranteed anonymity to callers has served to make it perhaps the most well-known and the most widely accepted national UFO reporting facility. And all we've got time for right now is enough time to let Peter Davenport say good evening. Good evening, Peter, and welcome. Good evening, Art. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. I'm we're, looking, looking we're, forward to sharing uh, some interesting information with uh, our All listeners. right. Very good, Peter. We're just about at the bottom of the hour. How long have you been doing it? I have been the director of the National UFO Reporting Center since late August of 1994. I took over the reins from Mr. Bob Gribble, who served in that capacity for 20 years. I've done it for six months now, Art. I don't know how he did it for 20 years. <laughs> I take calls 24 hours a day. 
and I am exhausted from it. How's that man, how Bob Gribble did it for 20 years. Yes, uh, Peter, does that mean that you wake up in the middle of the night when the phone rings? I do indeed, Art, and uh, it is a most remarkable job, probably the most exciting I've ever had to take calls from Keokuk, Iowa, or St. Louis, Missouri, or Minns, Florida, or Farmington, Maine. And I've taken about 3,000 calls in the last uh, six months. All right. Well, we're going to talk about some of them in just a moment. That's our guest. His name is Peter Davenport. Somebody who uh, wakes up in the middle of the night when somebody wants to report an unidentified flying object. That, ladies and gentlemen, is dedication. We'll find out all about it in just a moment. This hour of Art Bell was recorded for rebroadcast at this time. Please do not call. From the Kingdom of Nye, we continue with your calls on Dreamland with Art Bell. Call Art now, toll free at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-TALK. First time callers, area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. 727-1295 in the 702 area code. Now again, here's Art Bell. Now again, here I am again, that tape making a liar out of me. We do not continue with your calls because we haven't started them yet, but we'll be taking them in a bit. Peter Davenport is my guest, and we're going to begin taking care of the um, uh, commercial load right here at the beginning of the half hour, so we've got a good straight shot. Now, the DL telephone now to Peter Davenport. And, Peter, I think the first thing I would like to get you re uh, to react to, if we could, is Linda Howe's report, which I thought was astounding. Uh, have you heard anything like that before? You know, it's very interesting that you ask, Art, because I have. Just about two weeks ago, I took a call from a group of young people. In fact, their mother called me first uh, to report to me that her children were telling her about something incredible that they had seen. They didn't even believe it themselves. They were driving in Romulus, Michigan, which I believe is to the southwest of Detroit, it's very difficult for me to believe this, Art, but I've taken so many calls from seemingly credible people that I am beginning to think that probably most of these calls are accurate and true from sane and sober-minded people. These kids were driving down a street in Romulus, Michigan one night, and they saw a huge World War II bomber coming across a line of trees at them. Very low altitude, probably within a wings wingspan of the ground. And suddenly, they swear it, I've talked to them over the telephone, it disappeared. It disappeared before their very eyes. I don't know what to make of it, but uh, in response to your question, yes, I have heard that report and a few others like it. That's amazing. Uh, they're talking about a new technology that might somehow fool the rods uh, and so forth in your eyes, uh, in effect, uh, visual cancellation, very much the way others have canceled audio. Yes. You think it's possible? I don't know. It's outside my field of expertise. Uh, I'm completely in the dark on that one, no pun intended. But as we get into some of the reports and as I play some of the excerpts from the tape-recorded conversations I've had over the last six months, 
I'll leave it up to our listeners to decide for themselves. Okay, you've been doing this a half year now. Are you going to be able to keep doing it, or...? I am indeed. Uh, it is the most astonishing job I've ever had. Uh, we do two things, essentially, two principal functions here at the center in Seattle. One, we collect data. We essentially provide a place for people who have seen UFOs or potential UFOs. Uh, we give them a place to call because we know from experience, a long period of experience now, that when people try to call the FAA or when they try to call oh, yes. the FBI or any government agency, those agencies may pass them off to us, but they express no interest whatsoever in the phenomenon. People are completely in the dark, and it seems a shame. It makes me very suspicious why our federal government is not ostensibly not paying any attention to this phenomenon, because if I can collect the mound of data with one telephone line in six months that I am looking at before me, tape-recorded calls, a thick stack of written reports from credible people, from police officers, from Air Force officers, from pilots, from the FAA, uh, air traffic controllers. If I can do it with one telephone line, our government must know about this phenomenon. Well, fact, that, that's a very good question, Dave. Do they, um, do they come to you at all? In other words, since you are the reporting center and since they refer telephone calls to you, do they come to you at any point? They do. Uh, it's very interesting. I, I have to tip my hat, for example, to the real pros we have in the FAA. They've been a delight to work with. They have been very helpful. Almost invariably, when somebody calls them, if they know about us, and most FAA facilities, it turns out, do know about us, they will direct the party to us, and we will take the report. In that respect, they are very cooperative, and they are very professional. We've taken some very interesting telephone calls from military facilities across the United States. Even uh, the military calls you? Even the military. Scott Air Force Base in uh, Illinois. Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana. Wow. Uh, Pease Air Force Base in New Hampshire. Uh, Air Force Recovery Coordination Center at Langley Air Force Base in Langley, Virginia. We've gotten a lot of calls from the military, but they don't know what to do with them. They don't, ostensibly, they don't have... Uh, so there is, there is no blue book, there is no ongoing uh, military arm that these military um, uh, coordination facilities, these military facilities would report to, even if they get radar, for example. That, I presume, to be the case. Um, uh, I, I suspect, from some anonymous calls that I have taken, I suspect that there are portions of our military, or perhaps intelligence, or both, that are devoted to this issue, to pursuing data, to following up on sightings or incidents. We just had a major sighting, by the way, out in McMinnville, Tennessee. That's about 60 miles to the southeast of Nashville. I took the call on Saturday night, the 7th of January, about 9.27 p.m. Seattle time. Mm -hmm. They had a major UFO sighting UFO flap over McMinnville. The Warren County Sheriff's Office had apparently had taken dozens or hundreds of calls, and suddenly there was an immense explosion. Uh, the magnitude of it I can't even describe over the phone, but it caused the airport manager of McMinnville Airport to immediately jump in an aircraft and take off to search the area looking for damage. 
I took an eight-page fax from the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency that night, or actually Sunday morning, the 8th of January, and I have discovered within the last 48 hours from yet another source that within a matter of hours, Warren County, Tennessee, was crawling with federal agents who were attempting to prevail upon local officials to say nothing. Now, I would be uncomfortable recounting this incident if I did not have in my possession a detailed eight-page facsimile message that I took Sunday morning in the wee hours of Sunday, just within hours after the explosion, documenting every aspect of that incident. Tell us as much as you can. Essentially what happened is a sighting occurred that, by the way, was very similar to one that we had taken from Mecosta County, Rodney, Michigan, on the 4th of January. Three days later, we take the call from TEMA, Tennessee Emergency Management Agency, based in Nashville. They've been very helpful, by the way, and I hope I'm not violating a confidence, but after all, they are a public agency. Uh, They called, the officer in charge, the OIC, called me to report that they had experienced an incident in Warren County. They didn't know the nature of it exactly, but they apparently had called the Air Force Recovery Coordination Center, AFRCC, in Langley, Virginia, and they had asked, what do we do? We have had multiple, perhaps hundreds of UFO reports. The objects were seen descending vertically and slowly to the ground, At which point, when they disappeared from sight from all vantage points, there was an immense white flash and large chunks of blue burning material was thrown high into the were thrown high into the sky. And Tima was activated. The Warren County Sheriff's Office was activated. And as we were to learn over subsequent days from a private investigator and a number of UFO investigators out in the area, apparently federal employees from what department I don't know and my sources don't know. Uh, We have an interesting source out in that area that apparently is well-connected and knows what's going on. I just received a call yesterday that some of the local UFO investigators in Tennessee were told, do not come into our county to investigate this one. Really? Really? Uh, Do you know, is this anywhere near Murfreesboro, Tennessee? I do not know. I don't have a map of Tennessee in front of me, Art. All right. Uh, I would like to uh, right now urge anybody in Tennessee, and we're being heard there, who has any information on this, to call us right now at uh, 1-800-825-5033. Let me repeat that number if you're in Tennessee. 1-800-825-5033. Just wanted to get that in. Go right ahead. I don't know what to make of this explosion, but... It was the report of UFOs was very similar to what had been reported to us on the 4th of January. I think that was a Wednesday. I took a call from a young woman and her daughter out in Mecosta County, Michigan. This is near Big Rapids. Well, isn't that great? Uh, I'm sorry, we just lost him, and uh, that occurs sometimes, I guess, uh, gee, right in the middle of a uh, uh, conversation at that. So what we're going to have to do is try and get uh, Mr. Davenport back on the line. I suspect that will be eminently possible. Stay right where you are. You're listening to Dreamland. Uh, What's going on here? I don't either. It's not the first time I've had telephone difficulties. Yeah, Uh, same here. But we'll be talking about that later. I've got a uh, brief... 
tape recording of some radio interference that I picked up over my telephone line on the 22nd of December, just a few days before Christmas. But let me go back to the sighting in Mecosta County, Michigan, on the 4th of January, if I may, briefly, because it is, again, very similar to the report we took from McMinnville, Tennessee, on the 7th, just three days later. In Michigan, I got a report from two people I had talked with uh, before in mid-November, 16th of November on a Wednesday. They called to report that they and many of their neighbors were looking at 12, by count, 12 objects that looked like the F-117 stealth fighter, black. They were hovering motionless in the sky. The people were entranced by the image, by the sight that they were looking at. And moreover, Art, they reported that the objects were appeared to be projecting down to the ground level columns of light. Now, as incredible as this may sound to you and to our listeners tonight, I have it on tape. I have it. In fact, most of what I'm going to be talking about tonight, I have on tape and am able to back up what I talk about. All right. Well, then go ahead. Let me... Uh, start, since we have some new listeners in Houston, I'd like to play about a 15 or 20 second account of what two airliner crews saw over Houston, Texas on the 31st of January. All right, go right ahead. You ready? Yes. Here we go. Here we go. On the line? Yeah, uh, it's uh, 1737 hours on uh, Monday, 31 January, 95. I'm talking with Martin from the FAA in Houston. Uh, what do you have? Hang on a second. Yeah. Uh, I've got uh, two airliners uh, northwest of Alexandria, Louisiana, approximately 60 miles at uh, 31,000 feet on both of them. Uh -huh. Southwest bound. And they're reporting some unknown object uh, flying above them uh -huh. with lights that are two objects that are together and they split apart and then they uh, go back together. Oh, really? What, uh, what time did they report that? About five minutes ago. <laughs> That's a report I took on, I think it was Tuesday, the 31st of January. Just in summary, it was two airliners at 31,000 feet ostensibly headed to Houston that were reporting objects above them are that were doing unusual aerobatics. Now, it's very interesting. I remember uh, Close Encounters of the Third Con. I'm sure you remember when they saw the object, and finally at the end they said, do you want to report a UFO? And there was a big, long pause. The fellow said, no, we don't want to report one of those things. Absolutely. So uh, are they now reporting more frequently? Are uh, jets and pilots reporting more frequently when they encounter something? They appear to be to me. I've taken calls from Navy jet fighters, a number of them, fighter pilots, that is, I've taken a number of calls from commercial pilots all across the country, Warrensburg, Missouri, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, Denver, Colorado. They appear to be uh, much more willing than it, uh, has been the case in the past to report to a centralized facility like ours the fact that they are seeing things that they cannot account for. All right, Peter, very quickly, uh, here's somebody in Tennessee. Uh, hello, ma'am, where in Tennessee Where in Tennessee are you, please? I'm about 50 miles from McMinnville. About? Let's say more north of McMinnville. 
Uh-huh. And did you happen to see anything on that evening, madam? No, no, we haven't seen anything, haven't heard anything of it. This is all hush-hush around here. Yes. I think it, it's a very rural area out there, and they probably would, if the people knew about it, they'd probably get upset. Yes. There'd be a lot of excitement. What I can't understand about these UFOs that are being detected, why can't we apprehend them? Well, it's a good question. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Why can't we apprehend them? We can detect them, and I'm going to be talking about that a little later in the program. Uh, within the last several weeks, I have come up with a system in conjunction with a local corporation up here in Seattle that will allow us to detect the presence of UFOs, we believe. Mm -hmm. We're very excited about the data. I just got a call from Mark Rodiger of the Center for UFO Studies just a couple days ago. And we're going to be pursuing this uh, project in the very near future. What method of detection would be used? A magnetic uh, uh, detection of some sort or a metallic? In other words, what, how do you do it? Electromagnetic radiation. I thought uh, so. Mm -hmm. The Thursday before Martin Luther King weekend, Art, I was sitting around saying to myself, you know, given all the hardware, all the satellites, all the detection systems we have on this planet today, there has to be at least one out there which inadvertently even is recording the presence of UFOs. I thought back to my experience in the venture capital industry about a decade ago up here in Seattle. One of the companies that caught our interest back then is a company up here in Kent, just south of Seattle, called Meteor Communications. Hmm. Meteor builds radio telemetry systems which bounce uh, low-priority data off the ionized tails behind meteorites, oh, about 60 or 70 miles up in the air, bounces a signal over the horizon to another receiver. Right. It's called meteor scatter. Meteor scatter. It's like uh, a frog jumping from lily pad to lily pad, just one jump ahead of the pike. That's a good analogy. It turns out, I have been listening to countless people over the last six months tell me, and I'm going to play one of these tapes tonight, tell me that when these uh, UFOs or these ships or craft or objects, whatever you want to call them, pass overhead, the one thing that people see quite often is a trail, a contrail. Mm -hmm. And equally often they report that often it is luminescent. That suggested to me that it is probably ionized gas or ionized particles of some variety behind the ship. And even though these craft that we are dealing with and getting reports about might be able to control their stealthiness, to coin a term, yes. I reason further that they will not be able to control or disguise or hide the effect they apparently create on the atmosphere. I'm sure you're quite correct. Uh, there's also something else going on. I'm out here, um, uh, Mr. Davenport, very close to an area... Uh, where they launch a lot of things, for, uh, specifically from Vandenberg. And every time they launch from Vandenberg, we see a long trail, and they're easy to recognize because they're kind of like a corkscrew as they go up. And I don't know what they've been launching, but I've been seeing launches almost on a daily basis. And uh, I would imagine they, too, would provide a bit of almost like meteor scatter. Absolutely. Sure. That's part of the reason that we lost communication with our re-entering uh, capsules and astronauts back in the 60s and 70s. You remember when uh, astronauts were coming back from space, there was a dead period when we couldn't communicate by radio with the astronauts. That is because the That's ionized right. gases around the capsule were sealing them off from uh, electromagnetic radiation or All radio. Right. 
signals. All right. I want you to hold it right there for a moment. We're going to do our top of the hour news, and we'll be back. All right? Good enough. Stay right there, and um, uh, thank you very much. My guest is... This is Talk 102, WTAZ, Morton, Peoria. broadcast program from the kingdom of nine you're hearing dreamland with art bell to participate in the program call toll-free 1-800-618-8255 1-800-618-8255 first-time callers area code 702-727-1222 or the wildcard line at 702-727-1295 this is the cbc Radio Network. It's Sunday evening. That means Dreamland. My guest is Peter Davenport from the National UFO Reporting Center located in Seattle, Washington. And um, we're, we're going to get phone calls uh, here shortly. We've got a lot going on. He's got a number of other reports he would like to get to you. And there's a lot to go on Dreamland, so stay right where you are. Davenport. Peter, are you there? I am here. Good. Uh, once again, here is somebody very briefly in the state of Tennessee. Um, hello there. Yes, hello. Hi. Uh, you're in Tennessee. What can you tell us? Well, I'm calling from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Right. And uh, I'm aware of the incident that you're speaking of. It was broadcast on our local news out of Nashville. They interviewed two people where the objects had fallen in their yards, and they showed the spots that had been burned, and then they ended the news story just by saying that it had come from an airplane flying overhead. Yeah. I'm delighted by your call, and thank mm -hmm. you very much for taking the brave stand on that. I just got a call this evening from a gentleman who saw, had a very solid sighting together with six automobiles down near uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico on Friday night. He has already been approached by members of the federal government. I talked to him not two hours ago, and they're telling him to keep his mouth shut. Oh, uh, really? I, uh, in fact, I have about a 60-second report from him that uh, came into the center on Friday night. We can play it later on. All right. Uh, uh, listen, uh, very quickly, your hotline is open right now, isn't it? It is open right now. We have a uh, staff member here together with me at the center. All right. Uh, give the number out. So if they want to call right now, if they've got something, um, they can call you right now. What is the number? The number here in Seattle is area code 206-722-3000. And uh, if anybody in near McMinnville, Tennessee, has some information, uh, we would be grateful for a call. All right. That line is open right now. All right, fine. Um, uh, Peter, what's next? Let me play a short... On the subject of uh, telephone interference, let me play a little 10-second excerpt from a call I took on the 22nd of December. I was talking to a, a woman over in Hamilton, Montana, early that morning. She and 14 other people had a disc, an object, hovering in the nights or the early morning sky, 
And they had been talking about the radio interference they had coming over their lines whenever this object was near them. Okay. Let me play the 10-second excerpt of what we heard. Here it comes. All right. Again, the 22nd of December, Art, and you may not be aware of it, but those same beeps were heard over your radio station on the 8th of January when you had Stanton Friedman on as a guest. Are you aware of that? No, I was not. Uh, a MUFON member, I'm a member of MUFON here in the state of Washington, apprised me of that in late January and just last weekend gave me a copy of that program, again with Stanton Friedman, and the same beeps are coming over your your uh, program, whether that is a result of the telephone system or a result of uh, radio interference, I don't know, but it is very interesting. All right, Peter, do you have any reports from Hawaii? We've been getting a number of reports. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've got a little bit of video uh, from a TV reporter in Honolulu uh, regarding amber lights. I've been getting all these amber light reports lately. Anything there? I am delighted by the question, Art. I took my first call from Hawaii on the 10th of January. A uh, very sane and uh, serious-minded woman called me from Honolulu to report that two friends of hers on the 7th of January were out fishing off Diamond Head, and they were witness over the course of 30 minutes to a huge triangular-shaped ship that hovered close to their fishing boat in the early morning hours, about 5 a.m., off Diamond Head, Hawaii, for 30 minutes. I got a uh, written report not too long ago, and uh, it is fascinating what they drew. I have a hmm. thick stack of reports of these objects from all over the United States. That's weird. I, of course, have had my own, I'm sure you've heard it if you're a listener to the show, but I've had my own sighting of a triangular object. It's the only thing I've ever seen, Peter, and uh, it wasn't one of those things that you think you see. It was right above me. It was very real. It was very silent. It wasn't flying. It was floating, and it scared the you-know-what out of me. Yes. I have had those triangles reported to the hotline probably from 30 or 40 states. Some of the reports are just breathtaking. And we now have a number of written reports from people. We traditionally ask for a written report as a follow-up to the telephone report. Some people have been excellent about it. They have included drawings. They've included drawings from their children who saw it also. And it can no longer be denied, Art, that people are seeing the most incredible craft in the atmosphere above the United States of America. Yes. And on that point, if I could for a moment, I think it is fitting on the eve of President's Day to send a message to the White House and to this now brave new Congress we have and say, enough is enough. The lie has been continued for 50-some-odd years. The time to square with the American people is now. And I think that if the White House or if the Congress of the United States would like to send their designees to look at the mound of material that I have collected with one telephone line in six months. They will go back with a report to their bosses that it can no longer be denied. The question in my mind 
is why is our government lying to us on this issue? That is equally interesting to me as the phenomenon itself, because we're getting reports now of police who are involved, allegedly, with UFO sightings, and yet after the fact, they refuse to talk about it. They refuse to admit it. Some police have been very good. Shenandoah County, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of November, I got call after call from the Sheriff's Department in Shenandoah County. At one time, they had nine deputy sheriffs. Uh, I guess this was another county. This is Prince George County, uh, southeast of Richmond. They had nine deputy sheriffs standing outside with binoculars looking at a ship. They estimated its width at 200 yards hovering wow. in the night sky. Wow. Shenandoah County, just days prior, we were getting calls almost nightly from Shenandoah. Libby, Montana, Police Department, uh, Leavenworth, uh, the Washington State Patrol. Just last week, I got a uh, call from the research branch of the California Highway Patrol in Sacramento. Very nice young woman down there called to request information from us. They apparently are trying to put together a plan in California for how they should report UFO sightings. <laughs> but uh, the law enforcement has been very cooperative. They've been very good. I took a call on the 7th of October from Landisville, New Jersey, straight south of uh, Philadelphia. It's west of Ocean City. On the 3rd, 1 a.m., I happen to remember these times and dates, at 1 a.m. on Monday morning, the 3rd of October, Two police officers from the Landisville Police Department were out on patrol in a, in a cruiser, a car. They saw two very bright lights, stunningly bright lights, apparently pointed at them to some degree. Mm -hmm. They were intrigued by that. They thought it was an aircraft that was very low, perhaps in distress. Sure. They rolled down their window, at which point both lights went out, extinguished simultaneously, and the two officers were stunned to witness what they saw before them, not too far away, probably not more than a couple hundred yards away, a huge, black, dark ship hovering in the night sky. A few seconds later, it started drifting towards the north and the west, and they started their engine. They had turned their, off their engine, and they heard a hum from it, as I recall the report. I have this on tape. They proceeded to follow it. At one point, they reported that they were doing 80 to 90 miles an hour along a an interstate following this thing. They went for two miles at 90 miles an hour trying to catch up to it. <laughs> That's what's going on. And I think it is altogether inappropriate for our elected officials to tell us that this is not going on. I will meet with them. I will meet with anyone to uh, present my data, both the tape-recorded conversations, the written reports, and... I defy anybody to walk away from such a presentation, presentation saying that this phenomenon is not taking place. It is. Have and you had any contact from the federal government at all? Uh, a little bit. I've talked to Peterson Air Force Base out in Colorado. They, uh, their information officer requested uh, some information. They were interested to know what was going on. I've been contacted by NASA down in Texas, uh, Johnson Space Center, but... Regrettably, the uh, the one person, uh, PhD scientist I talked to, was a, a total skeptic on it. Wouldn't even address uh, some of these issues. Mm. But other than that, very limited contact. Other than again, the FAA directing uh, calls to us. 
All right, let's uh, go to the phone and take a few calls ourselves. Uh, Peter, are you up for that? I am indeed. All right, good. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport on Dreamland. Hi, Peter. Good evening. I'm out here in Colorado, now in San Diego. Uh-huh. I was wondering, in your position, what's your opinion of the Gulf Breeze uh, sightings? I have very little experience with Gulf Breeze. I've read a prodigious quantity of material on it. I find it very intriguing. The one thing I can say is that in September, I took a very interesting call from Rochester, Minnesota, a young guy who is an engineer out there. He lives on the northeastern corner of Rochester. In the early hours of the morning, and there's a point to this, uh, this long rambling account, he heard what at first he thought was a, an 18-wheel truck coming down the highway towards his house and then quickly realized that it was not a truck at all. It was something very unusual. He went outside, this is about 2 o'clock in the morning, and was treated to a most unearthly image. He described a ship that is identical. His description was identical to some of the pictures that we have taken from Gulf Breeze to the extent of multi-tiered windows, several layers of windows that all had different colors of light radiating from them. Mm. That is about all I can say on the Gulf Breeze issue. I know there are other very talented people pursuing it, investigating it, putting together, collecting data. But beyond that, I'm afraid I'm not really able to comment intelligently on it. All right, and you're not looking back so much as you're looking at the present. In other words, getting reports from people and trying to figure out what's going on right now. That is correct. And while on that point, one thing I would say, we are one telephone line at present. We're in the process of expanding and will hopefully have somewhere between four and ten lines in the very near future, resource permitting, but the one policy we have to enforce, regrettably, is the telephone line is reserved for current sightings or sightings that are perhaps a day or two old. Right. If they're older than that, we strongly prefer that people submit their, uh, their reports in, in writing. writing to All our right. address in Seattle. All right, Peter. Uh, since you deal with what is occurring now, maybe you can tell us, uh, are we in a current flurry of... Um, uh, UFO reports, uh, I'm sure it's cyclical. You get a lot of reports, then fewer, then a lot, then fewer. What kind of cycle are we in right now? Uh, since about mid-December, I would say that we're having an inordinately great number of sighting reports. And mm -hmm. John Timmerman, who's the national treasurer for CUFOS, Center for UFO Studies, a very nice gentleman with whom I've had frequent conversations, he called me in late December to say, Peter, what in heaven's name is going on? What's going on? Yeah. He is being swamped with calls out in Lima, Ohio, which is where he resides. He and I were comparing notes and were just awestruck by not just the volume of calls. The volume of calls per se is not important, but the quality of calls is breathtaking. We're getting calls from people who are every bit as sane and sober and intelligent and eloquent as can be in this country. And these people are describing things that should not be there. We've had call on the 16th of November. I took my first call from Mecosta County, Michigan. They had well over several hundred people stopped on the federal highway out there. I think it's Route 31 that runs north and south. In the afternoon sky, they had people standing on the side of a federal highway, an interstate, looking at a gigantic triangle with its nose pointed up in the sky 
and in the nearby, in the sky nearby, there was a little cloud of red things boiling like a whirling dervish. They were just spinning around in a cloud. Huh. It was a 20-minute sighting. And when I asked people to estimate the size of the object, all of them said it was at least the size of a 747 airliner and perhaps larger than that. All right. Uh, back to the phones. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Moki. I live in McChesney Park, Illinois. Yes. Um, first, I, w I had a quick question for you before I asked your guest. Um, what album is that music that you play at the beginning of Dreamland? Because I want to buy it. Um, all right. Um, we'll get that information on the air for you. It's called the O of Pleasure. Okay. All thanks. Right? Um, and then I was wondering if he li listened on, or on Friday that they were talking about that Plato project. And I was wondering if he knew if he knew anything about what he was talking about on Friday. And I'm afraid I I don't know. I don't know much about Plato, and I'm really not able to comment very intelligently on it. All right. Uh, again, this program, everybody, is um, kind of circling around current sighting information, or I suppose sightings that have occurred, uh, rather than sort of a rehash of a program we may have done uh, uh, last week. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, Art. This is San Diego calling. Yes, sir. Um, uh, a kind of a general question for your guest. Yes. Um, considering that Albert Einstein went, he went to great lengths to to show that the speed of light can't be exceeded, cannot be exceeded by anything with any significant mass. Yes. Where are these shows? I'm not trying to be a, I'm not trying to be a hard nose. I'm just wondering where are these these UFOs coming from? All right, thank you. Um, well, there are many theories about that. Again, uh, I doubt that it's something you want to comment on, Peter. Uh, how do they get here, in other words, from the vast distances uh, if they cannot exceed the speed of light? Uh, you're correct in stating that I'd prefer not to comment because it's really out of my field. I'm a biologist. I'm a geneticist. And All right. Well, I, I... Court, hi. Hello. Yeah. Hello, Art. Uh, this is uh, Jack from Charleston, South Carolina. Hi, Jack. And I would like to ask uh, Mr. Davenport first if you could give sometime during the program the address to report uh, sightings of a few years ago. Yes, and indeed. I'm also uh, wondering his opinion on so-called debunkers like uh, Philip Class, for instance. Oh, that's a good question, I suppose. All right, thank you. Uh, I'm sure you deal with it. I've had Phil Class on the program a number of times, Peter. Uh, any comments on Phil and company? I had the pleasure of meeting Phil on the 5th of July, 1991, at the MUFON convention in Chicago. He is a wonderful man. Yeah, very He's nice very, guy. Very cheerful, very, very bright, very eloquent. And I happen to disagree with him uh, diametrically opposed to many of his views. Um, I just don't know why he is so implacable in his view on so many of these issues. Do you think he's a useful idiot for the government or working for them? I have no idea and would prefer not to comment. I, uh, <laughs> I find it very amusing, some of his views, yes. in light of what is clearly, clearly concrete evidence now. And it does seem amusing to me that uh, he would take such a hard position on the other side of the issue. All right, thank you. Well, we'll leave those uh, stressful comments to me then. We're going to break here. Uh, Peter Davenport is my guest. He is head of the National UFO Reporting Center located in Seattle, Washington. 
And I imagine their phone is ringing off the hook right now. We'll be back with more your calls and more of Dreamland for a Sunday night. I'm Art Bell. Stay right where you are. This hour of Art Bell was recorded for rebroadcast at this time. Please do not call. Kingdom of Nine. We continue with your calls on Dreamland with Art Bell. Call Art now, toll free at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-TALK. First time callers, area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. 727-1295 in the 702 area code. Now again, here's Art Bell. Now again, here I am, and I want to remind everybody, we have an east and west of the Rockies line. East of the Rockies, it's 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, it's 1-800-618-8255. In a moment, Peter Davenport is back, and this is a fax for him to consider. Art? I'm spellbound by your program each Sunday evening. I look forward to each show. I have never seen a UFO, but I would like to very much ask your guest where I might, quote, hang out, end quote, hang out, to increase my chances. I live in Northern California, TC in Sacramento. There is somebody who wants to see a UFO, and in a moment we'll ask Peter whether he should be careful what he wishes for. Ever fan of fire at nine? You don't have to be rich to own gold. Just smart. Now, back to uh, Peter Davenport. Uh, Peter, you heard the facts I just read. Somebody in Sacramento who would like to connect with a UFO. I'm sure you get a lot of that. What do you tell people? We do. And there's uh, not much I can tell them, except to tell this gentleman that there have been a great many sightings down in his state since I've been on the hotline. It started on the 26th of August. Uh... Probably the 9th of September was my busiest day on the hotline, and I took 28 calls, most of them from California, from just, in fact, just north of Sacramento, uh, in a 10-hour period between midnight and 10 a.m. on, again, Friday the 9th of September. There's no way to predict where these ships are going to be seen. They're seen everywhere. Many of the people who call the hotline have seen them for the first time in their lives, and they are just just astonished. Uh, one of the hot spots, however, recently has been the state of Michigan. Uh, there was a major sighting over Kalamazoo and Pawpaw, Michigan on Thursday night this past week. Thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of people must have seen the cluster of ships that went streaking east to west at between 11.12 and 11.15 p.m. local time Thursday night over Kalamazoo, Michigan. Hmm. One of the observers was a former artillery officer in the U.S. Army. He was out sledding with a group of about 12 or 14 people. They were astonished. They were transfixed by what they saw. I got the call from uh, the officer the next morning. Interestingly, I got another call that morning from Pawpaw, Michigan. A man and his wife were, again, transfixed by three objects that were making a terrible racket. Um, just about 11.15, just a matter of two or three minutes, 20 miles west of Kalamazoo, this man and woman were treated to a most incredible display. Those ships were not from our planet. 
uh, it was really quite a stunning, quite emotional description of what he saw. Well, we had a very interesting sighting up in northeastern Washington State. Uh, wait a minute. Just before you leave Michigan, Peter, yes. I have an audio tape. Um, I think it was a year or maybe two years ago of a series of Michigan sightings. The interesting thing about the tape I have is that it's got the radar controller um, on the tape confirming and uh, looking at his own radar screen and saying, oh my God, I see yeah. them, they're gigantic. I wonder if you know the one I'm referring to. I do indeed, and that was a sighting that occurred on Tuesday night, the 8th of March, That's 1994, it. over yep. Holland, Michigan, That's which is right on the shore of Lake Michigan. And I have to compliment my predecessor on the hotline, again the founder, Bob Gribble. It was he, single-handedly, who I believe was responsible for seeing to it that uh, that that sighting and it must have been seen those objects must have been seen by thousands of people over the shore of lake michigan he took one call from a very bright sounding young man in holland who said do you know what we are looking at at this moment over holland michigan bob gribble took the report he quickly turned around and called the uh, state directors for the mutual ufo network in michigan to apprise them that a sighting was in progress right and Mrs. Coyne, who is the state director, or was the state director, I think she still is, had the presence of mind, she's a very sharp woman, had the presence of mind to call not the FAA. They don't have the equipment, apparently, that permits them to see these things. She called the National Weather Service. That's correct. That has discretionary radar all across the country for looking at storm cells. That's right. And they sat there saying, we see it, it's, wait a minute now, it's splitting into two, no, three yep. objects, and uh, we got a running, oh, it's about a 20-minute tape, and it's absolutely remarkable. Here's yet one more fact. Uh, dear Mr. Bell and Guest, I must say that you have a interesting show. I listen to Dreamland Weekly on WPHB Radio in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. A couple of questions. I'm currently reading a book by Raymond C. Fowler entitled Casebook of a UFO Investigator. In the book, Mr. Fowler tells of a spider web type material found as discharge from some UFOs. Have you heard anything about this? Yes. I have indeed, in a number of cases, it's called angel hair, or it has been called angel hair in the literature for the last four or five decades. Uh, I've had a number of people report this phenomenon. They think they see wisps of material in the sky that apparently evaporates or disappears through some process before it reaches ground level. Mm -hmm. Again, a number of reports um, of very solid-looking contrails that follow behind the ships that in some cases are, are seen streaking from horizon to horizon in 10 seconds <laughs> through 160 degrees over the head of the viewer in 10 seconds i alluded earlier during the program to a call i took from nebraska from a former either former or current u.s navy pilot who saw a gigantic triangle pass overhead he said it went from horizon to horizon, he estimates, in six seconds. <laughs> and it was huge. Of course, uh, the horizon to horizon time would be uh, controlled to some degree by the altitude. Yes, but he said it was at considerable altitude, even okay. if it was at a thousand feet, to go through that angle so fast suggests it must have been moving very rapidly. Indeed. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hello there. East of the Rockies, going once, going twice, gone. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. 
Hello there. Maybe I'm not pushing a button correctly here. Maybe Let they're being abducted. Yeah. <laughs> We've e taken e some interesting abduction calls. Hold on a second, Peter. East of the Rockies, let's see if it's working. You're on the air with Peter Davenport. Okay, good. I want to be on the air. All right, where are you? Wichita, Kansas. All right, go ahead. And I know what the um, I know what the UFOs are. What? <laughs> they're government's newest and finest equipment. I wrote it down just to make sure that I'm sure. They're the government's newest and finest equipment, looking for anything and anyone that could hurt officials and the U.S. government and the good citizens of the United States. All right, well, All right. that sounds a little... Uh uh, paranoid, and a lot of people are paranoid about the black helicopters and about a, a lot of things that come and go in our skies that we can't identify. What do you say to that, Peter? Well, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> what the interaction between these ships and our government may be, I have no idea at this point. Uh, again, we're, we're sort of out of my league on this one. We perform a very simple service here at the center. We're a clearinghouse for information. We don't do that much analysis, although I spend a great deal of my time thinking on these matters, but I'd rather not conjecture. Well, that's good. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Oh, whoops, would have been. Wild card line, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Good evening. This is Fritz from Phoenix. Yes, Fritz. Arden Peter, now the appearing and disappearing on UFOs has come up so many times the subject. More and more lately, yes. This is just uh, my uh, experience. Uh, for many years now, uh, 10, 20, 30 years, ordinary people now went out with their cameras and took pictures of the scenery. And when the film was developed, the film picked up the UFO, but yet the photographer could never see the UFO. That's right. Well, that, that would lead, uh, uh, give some credence to uh, what Linda Howe's been saying about it affecting the human eye. Now, something else. Over the years, many children have seen the vision of Mary, let's just say Fatima and Medjugorje. They have been parasological adjusted, I would say, cosmically. Why do the children see the vision of Mary and the bystanders don't see it? So it's the same phenomenon. I don't know. Um, uh, there's no way to answer that, of course. No way Peter can answer that uh, either. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, good evening, Art. Wally from uh, Seattle. Hello, Wally. Uh, question, uh, starting out with your uh, part of the program earlier uh, with the sightings in McMinnville, the explosion. Yes. yes. Uh, it's always difficult, I guess, to, to come up with the hard evidence of, of the uh, saucers themselves or UFOs, but did they find any physical evidence that fell into civilian hands? And number two, did they ever identify, did anyone, the law enforcement people, ever identify who the uh, law enforcement agency people were from the government, the ones that are always so hard to find out about? That is an excellent question. Uh, I wish I had the answers, uh, definitive answers to the questions. As far as I know, they did not find material, although I got a, a call on Friday that allegedly somebody has been found who found some material in her yard that she thought might have been uh, related to the explosion. One of the difficult things we uh, face in this matter is that apparently the state and local officials have been prevailed upon by the federal agents or employees or whoever they are who have uh, apparently brought pressure to bear against these people. At least that's my understanding from this distance in Seattle, and I'm getting very, very good information from some very capable investigators down there, both UFO investigators and others. But we don't have any hard evidence other than an eight-page fax. 
And that's one of the things, by the way, that I am willing to uh, provide to our listeners. Uh, if they send a uh, self-addressed stamped envelope with enough postage for about four or five uh, ounces of material and a list of the things that they might like to have, some of the sighting reports. And I am just touching on a few of the reports. I have 14 pages. Well, I'm telling you, Peter, you, you're going to have to be careful here. You're talking to a lot of people, and you may get more than you wish for. Um, so I, I understand that, Art. Uh, I feel a compulsion to communicate to my fellow citizens oh. the true essence of the material that is coming into the hotline. It is just flabbergasting. If they are willing to write a check for a sampler package, and they will send a self-addressed stamped large 10 by 13 inch envelope i will see to it that they get copies of the sighting reports and if they want a copy of this uh mcminnville the facts i received with regard to the mcminnville explosion um i will send them a copy of that okay give so, out give out the address peter it is p.o box four five six two three university station and that's seattle washington the zip code is nine eight one four five do it again. P.O. Box 45623, University Station, Seattle, Washington. The zip code is 98145. Send it to my attention, the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle. And enclose a check and a self-addressed stamped envelope, and I will stuff it full with interesting articles, citing reports. Enclose a check for how much? For $10. $10. And uh, I am on that subject... Uh, I am within a month of starting a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, that will be nothing but four to eight pages of the descriptions of the reports that come into the hotline. Uh, it will be available very soon, and uh, we also have a 30-minute video that was done just in December of this year, an interview with me. Uh, we just yesterday obtained the uh, copyrights to it from the television studio that was involved in the production of it. Mm -hmm. uh, Fourteen ninety-five. Uh, send us a check and a couple dollars for mailing and posting or mailing and handling. And uh, it's thirty minutes of an interview with me talking about many of the individual cases I've not had a chance to even touch on during this program. And the one thing it includes is a number of shots of the written reports and the illustrations of ships that have been described to us over the hotline over the last six months. All right. It is stunning. All right, very good. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hello. Hi. Hello. My name is Nick. Yes, Nick. Where Where are you? I live in Rockton. Where? Illinois. Oh, yes, okay. Um, I was wondering, um, what exactly do you do, today, Mr. Davenport? Um, Peter's fine. I'm the most informal person I know. Okay. <laughs> what do you do when government agents confront you? I have fortunately have not had that experience. I don't anticipate it. Uh, most of the federal people that I've had the pleasure of dealing with, FAA people, military people, have just been a study in uh, discretion and professionalism. I think we're very lucky, for example, to have the FAA people we have. Uh, but nobody's confronted me to this point. And right. I've been doing it for six months. On uh, our wild card line, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Tom in Seattle. Hello, Tom. Hi, Peter. Hi, Tom. Um, 
seems like with such a high degree of technology that uh, we must be dealing with that uh, there might very well be a great deal at stake militarily uh, in not allowing potential enemies to gain an advantage on it over us. Uh, regarding what you said about it being time for the federal government to come clean about this, it yes. seems like uh, the United States military, which has protected us for so long, might deserve more trust than that. Uh, I don't know what to think of the military. Uh, you touch on a number of calls that I have taken since August reporting to the hotline that witnesses see U.S. military jet fighters in pursuit of some of these objects. I took a stunning call in mid-October, I believe it was, from Farmington, Maine. Two gentlemen saw four UFOs come in from all four points of the compass and stop instantly in a formation. Hmm. Uh, before five or ten minutes had passed, they reported the uh, several jet fighters came into the area and started circling the formation of objects in the night sky, again over Farmington, Maine. I had a similar report from Cottonwood, California. It's about 160 miles up I-5, north of Sacramento in California. Again, we've taken a lot of calls from there. A young fellow called to report that he had a number of very, very strange objects performing very strange aerobatics in the night sky. And he reported that U.S. military aircraft came into the area, but they were A-4 Skyhawks. That is an almost an antique jet airplane today, and he had a very good look at them. He seemed to know aircraft very well. I used to serve as a flight instructor, uh, so I know aircraft to some degree, and he described the A-4 Skyhawk perfectly. Why in heaven's name our government or military would be using an A-4 Skyhawk to pursue craft like these? That I agree with your statement, Tom. They must have a, astonishing flight capabilities. Why the uh, military would be using those aircraft, I can't imagine. But, uh, yeah, we've had a number of reports of military pursuing these things. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Yeah, right. I'd like to talk to him. All right, where are you? Wichita, Kansas. Didn't you just call a little while ago? Well, you hung up I on did, me. and it's one call per show is the rule. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hello, Peter, and to Rick, who's listening in in Seattle. Good evening. Um, I'm just wondering, what is wrong with the concept of state secrets when it comes to Air Force technology and future design? Why do we have to report everything as a UFO if we know that they're Air Force stuff? I mean, this... Well, of course, the answer is we don't know, do we, Peter? No, we don't. And I, I seriously doubt whether our Air Force, our military, or any military on this planet has uh, craft that they are willing to fly over civilian areas that are capable of hovering, that give off the most astonishingly bright lights. It just doesn't make an ounce of sense to me that if it is our military that is flying these aircraft, that they would be flying them in such a cavalier fashion over populated areas. Hey, Peter, what if they came to you? What if, what if the feds came to you and said, look, uh, these are U.S. experimental aircraft. These are official state secrets it's a matter of national security mr davenport we want you to back off that is a good question art um i feel a a very serious responsibility to my country most of all to my fellow countrymen would you back off i don't believe i would 
All right. Peter, um, wow, what an answer. <laughs> We're going to break here for news at the top of the hour. You're listening to Dreamland from the High Desert. I'm Art Bell. We'll be right back. Peter Davenport. Uh, Peter, are you there? I am here. All right. A lot of calls for you, Peter. Let us begin with our new live station in Hawaii. Where are you calling from? Hello there. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's try it now. Are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Where are you? I'm actually in Oahu, in Waikiki Beach. Okay, very good. Well, quite frankly, my uh, the question I had for the guest is, um, he was talking about how the government would hide something. Not saying that they are or are not, but what about the religious implications of this? It's not that I'm a religious fanatic, but just what would happen if the Christians or the Catholics or the Islams would realize that you know, it, it didn't all start with that, and there's life outside. Yes, it is a good question. The social implications of the realization that we are being visited, the religious uh, implications, a lot of people, Peter, and I know it's true because I talk to them, would go absolutely bonkers. Yes. I'm a little concerned by that, but I'm delighted by the question. The uh, gentleman has put some thought into his question. One of the one of the influences this job, this last six months, has had on me is to evoke in me an enhanced interest in religious affairs. I believe, and this is now only an opinion, I believe that the phenomenon that I am taking calls about almost every hour of the day cannot be separated from government affairs, uh, social affairs, but most of all religious affairs. It has had a profound effect on me. Mm. And uh, it's a very interesting question. It's fun to muse on, but that is not my job to conjecture or to try to uh, suggest people they change their lives in any particular way. My job is simply to, and I am now dedicated to this, the job has taken me over over the last six months. I feel that my responsibility to my fellow countrymen is to take these calls, accept the information through written reports as well, to filter it to a minimal degree, and to get it out to those Americans who would like to know what is really going on. With regard to the preface to your question, I have no proof that our government is out deceiving us. But if they are, let me say that it is my objective to do an end run around them, the way Schwarzkopf went around the Iraqis, to see to it that those American citizens, my neighbors, if you will, who would like to know more about this phenomenon, have access to accurate reliable information. Good enough. East of the Rockies, your turn with Peter Davenport. Hi. Yes, my name is Ronald. I'm calling from Albuquerque. Yes, Ronald. Uh, would you please elaborate on what you mentioned earlier about the sighting that you had here on Friday evening, and I'll hang up and listen to you. Uh, who are you referring to? Uh, to Peter, didn't you say something? I did indeed. Uh, right. You heard me correctly. Would you like to hear the report I took from New Mexico on Friday night, two nights ago. It's about 54 seconds long. Would you like to hear it? Caller? Oh, I guess the caller's already gone. I'd like to hear it. Go ahead. Here we go. This All is right. New Mexico. This is 7 o'clock last Friday night, about 50 hours ago. Hang on. Calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, the Flight Control Center for the Federal Aviation Administration at Albuquerque International gave me this number. 726 this evening on State Highway 44, um, approximately 10 miles west of Bernalillo, New Mexico, approximately 40 miles northwest. 
Again, a phosphorescent uh, green trail. He yeah. said, yeah. "All right, go ahead, Art." All right, fascinating. I want to. We're, we're so short on time here, and there are so many people uh, west of the Rockies. You're on with Peter Davenport. Where are you calling from, please? Honolulu. All right, good. Yeah, thank you, Peter. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. I, I work in for uh, the military. I'm in the Navy. I'm a cryptologist. I work with sensitive compartmented information and stuff. You bet. Uh, I've been looking for years for evidence in in the realms of, of, you know, classified areas and stuff for, you know, a conspiracy or whatever that the government's trying to do. Yes. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. I haven't been able to find any. I personally believe that they, they are hiding information or withholding information from us, but I can't find any evidence yes. to, to prove that. And I have access to that kind of information. Yes. That's what, it's very frustrating. Well, uh, Stan Friedman has dealt with this issue very, very well. Um, <clears throat> the government clearly does have information in its possession that it is not sharing with its citizens. We pay their six-figure salaries, and they turn around and either give us no information or lie to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, too, used to work in military intelligence. I used to be a Russian translator for the U.S. Army, Army Security Agency in West Germany. I worked on the border. I had access to some interesting information. I never saw a trace of this this subject whatsoever. I saw my first UFO over St. Louis Airport in the summer of 1954. It took me 36 years to see my next one. I'm not surprised that some people don't see them or don't see information about them. Mm -hmm. One more question for you, Peter. Yes, sir. I realize you're short on time. There's a couple of shows on Fox. Uh, of course, there's the X-Files and then there's the Encounters and Sightings. Yes. Uh, in your opinion, how credible do you or how much credit do you give, you know, sightings and encounters for trying to put forth an objective story on the issue? All right, that's a good question. I am really not a fair judge. Uh, some of their programs have been very, very interesting to me. The article about the blast over Tunguska in Siberia on yes. the 30th of June, 1908. I've read about it for 26 years now. I have a friend from Seattle who was just there last July on the blast site. He discovered some very interesting things. On that particular show that I believe was sighting showed, uh, I thought it was an excellent report. There was but another, uh, Peter, on a similar show, it may have been sightings, about the UFO that hovered above the uh, Russian ICBM site and actually caused the ICBM to go into its launch sequence. Yes. We have here in the state of Washington, in our state chapter of MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, a gentleman who's a retired military officer from the U.S. Air Force, he tells a similar story about one or more ICBM silos out in Montana. Oh, my God. Does uh, he, does he, did he say that they actually went into launch sequence? I think I would rather let him tell his own story. I don't want to 
try to parrot or paraphrase his story, uh -huh. but suffice it to say that some very interesting things happened out in Montana. I believe it was Montana rather than North Dakota. This man is a very serious-minded man who I held understand. a great deal of responsibility at one point. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Where are you calling from, please? I'm calling from Whitewater, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. My name is Justin. Yes. Hello, Peter. Um, Hi, Justin. Well, as an ordinary citizen, I find all of this to be a little scary. And I was wondering, I, I just admire you for being able to do what you do. Well, thank you. I wish I could do what you were doing. <laughs> but um, It's hard it's work, really, Justin. <laughs> it is scary because, you know, the average person hasn't seen any of this. Yes, yes. Let me tell you a story. Since you're calling from Wisconsin, I'm pulling a file here for the 3rd of February, Friday. Friday morning, the 3rd of February at 6.05, 6.06 a.m., I took a call from Maribel, Wisconsin. It's near Denmark, up in the northeast corner of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. A woman called to describe an hour's sighting they had over your wonderful state, and I have been to Wisconsin. It is beautiful. They were treated to an hour's display during the last 30 minutes of the display of bullet-shaped ships that had the most incredible flight characteristics she had ever seen, and this woman had never seen a UFO. The objects they alleged were being pursued by U.S. military jet fighter, uh, jet fighter aircraft uh, <laughs> over the horizon. About three hours later, I took a, another call from Traverse City, Michigan, up in the northwestern corner of the southern portion of Michigan. That same night, while people in Wisconsin were watching these craft streak from horizon to horizon overhead, Four children were out sledding on a hill not far from Traverse City. They came running back to their home, reporting to their mother that they had seen a saucer that had streaked in out of the night sky, hovered above them, and bathed them in a white light. They went running home, and I won't go into the fine detail, but my suspicion, and I believe now the mother's realization and suspicion, is that there was some kind of interaction between that ship and those four children. The evidence is overwhelming. Just this afternoon, I talked with a gentleman from Traverse City, a very responsible man who had worked for NASA down at uh, Cape Kennedy on the Saturn V, I presume. He described to me the object that he saw that very night, that evening on the 2nd of February, Thursday night, he reported it to the local Air Force facility in Traverse City, and he called the Air Force Recovery Coordination Center at Langley, Virginia. They were the ones, Langley was the first one to call me about this series of sightings. So, uh, what, what do you say, uh, again, on behalf of the last caller, uh, last fellow who called, uh, until I had my sighting, and that's recently in my life, and I'm almost uh, half a century here, mm -hmm. um, I thought that a lot of this myself was uh, crazy and that people like yourself and other people were crazy as, as loons. And uh, so what do you have to say uh, to people who's, you know, they're just maybe listening to Dreamland for the first time and they're going, oh, my God, what is all this? These people have got to be nuts. Yes. I was born in Missouri, Art. That makes me a member of the Show Me State. I feel the same way. I don't, and moreover, I'm a scientist by academic training. I don't believe things unless I can see them, touch them, feel them, repeat them, and so on. Right. But I defy, again, anybody to look at the volume of data that I am looking at and say that there is nothing to it, that all of these are hoaxes, all of these are mistaken identity, or something along those lines. What percentage of them do you think are? 
Uh, I believe probably a substantial percentage are twinkling stars. We get a, I, I dread a clear night because we are inundated between yes. midnight and six with people who always describe it in the southeast sky. It's red, blue, green. It's shifting back and forth. And I know the very star because I can go out inside, outside and look at it. I do not criticize these people. I, in February of 1990, was down in Baja, California, and was very badly humbled, very badly mistaken by a twinkling star that caused me to invite everybody in the bar outside to look at a UFO hovering in the night sky. <laughs> I was dead wrong, yes. and it was a very good lesson for me. So I do not criticize these people. But uh, we get some, a lot of mistaken identity. Some of these advertising lights with the four oscillating barrels on them give us some calls. There's a new type of laser-based advertising light that uh, gives people a start now and again. Peter, there was actually um, a program not long ago to launch uh, space billboards. Do you recall that? I do, indeed. Can you imagine if they got a billboard up there actually in orbit, going around and around, your job would become impossibly difficult? I would not get any sleep at all. I sometimes think that movie, Sleepless in Seattle, was made for me, Art. <laughs> I took an interest. That gives rise to a, a very interesting call I took from Houston. A gentleman was claiming that there was something following our shuttle. He was really agitated. He was correct. It was our shuttle that was up in November that had a tethered satellite. He had very good vision. And he was exactly correct. There were two objects going overhead in the night sky. Now that is good vision. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with uh, uh, Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, my name is Pete. Hi, Pete. I live in St. Louis. Yes, Pete. Well, I was abducted a few weeks ago, and I was scared to tell anyone. Yes. Um, I believe a lot of this is taking place, Pete. The calls that I get uh, come in great numbers, relatively speaking. Um, I am inclined to believe the stories from people who are telling stories like yours. The only thing I can say is that we have no evidence that people have been harmed or badly harmed. They've been scared, but not badly harmed. Um, oh, I was terrified. All yeah. right. Well, I, I'm sure you were, um, and a lot of people have been. I've talked to a lot of people that, frankly, were just, you know, frozen with terror and have been abducted and the abduction stories go on and on and on and on yes what do you make out of it i took a very interesting call i was on radio down in los angeles for about a twenty minute interview it was tuesday the eighteenth of october i was on the phone for ten hours that day with people calling me to tell me about their experiences they had had abduction experiences one gentleman had been hitchhiking from the northwest down to Las Vegas in the summer of 1980. He and a buddy, they'd gotten out of a van that was being dra driven carelessly. They decided to hitchhike or walk, and they ran into a couple of saucers in the Nevada desert, and they did, he, the one gentleman who called me had not remembered a, a single glimmer of it until he heard my voice on the radio that morning. Uh, I think it's taking place. There was a very interesting abduction scenario in Santa Cruz, California on the 1st of August. A young woman, her husband, their son, up on a mountaintop just north of the optical telescope down there in the mountains above Santa Cruz. They were blinded by a flash of light in the dark night sky. It was a clear sky. They were standing out on a mountaintop on their way to their home. And it was a call. The woman 
began to awaken during her telephone call with me, began to awaken to some of her memories. Same. I have it on tape. It was a very touching, stirring telephone call. One of the things we are able to do and one of the gratifications I get from this job is we're able to help people who have been scared by these things or, more often, people who do not believe their own eyes. And they are, it is, I find it terribly rewarding to hear people report tremendous relief to know that somebody else in their area saw the same thing. Of course. Your uh, UFO reporting line is open right now, and you're willing to take calls from anywhere, correct? We are, but I would like to comment on that, Art. Uh, we are one telephone line. We can be swamped very, very easily for the time being. I am in the process. One of my responsibilities to this center is to expand it vastly. We have to limit our telephone calls to current sightings only. We cannot take calls about the strange lights Aunt Mahitable saw Christmas of aught six after her second glass of sherry. Yeah, and I'm we sure you also can't take collect calls, but uh, otherwise, go ahead and give out the number again, please. The number for the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle is area code 206-722-3000. We prefer calls during business hours. We prefer past sightings in written form to the address I gave out earlier and will give out again. But uh, if you have had a current sighting, please give a call. We'd like to know about it. Sometimes we have to be very terse and laconic and brief, but uh, please I, understand. I do understand. Thank you. Uh, stay right where you are, Peter. We'll be right back. at 1-800-618-8255, 1-800-618-TALK. First-time callers, area code 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222, or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295, 727-1295, in the 702 area code. Now again, here's Art Bell. Here I am. Could you please announce, Art, the call letters and frequency of the station in Houston that's going to carry Dreamland? I was discussing your show with some people on America Online, and they're interested in listening. It's KTRH Radio in Houston. They'll begin carrying the program Houston time at 1 o'clock tomorrow morning. And I've got a very interesting fax here for uh, Mr. Davenport in just a moment. Reminding you, east of the Rockies, our number is 1. 800-825-5033. Art, please inform Mr. Davenport that the A-4 Skyhawk jet was the last U.S. fighter aircraft that relied totally on physical, 
mechanical flight surface controls and was not susceptible to electronic uh, interference, electromagnetic interference, in surface control servos and motors. This is a good reason to use such planes in an environment where electromagnetic effects might be used against them by the UFO, Bill in Bremerton. What do you think? <clears throat> you talking to me? Yes, I am. I like the comment. I had come to the same conclusion. The A-4 Skyhawk is known as the jet with seven levers, and I had come to the same conclusion. I am delighted by this person's call because it serves to confirm a suspicion on my part. I suspect that there because the A-4 fly, flew, flies through the use of steel cables as opposed to fly-by-wire mechanisms, that would be an excellent choice for a plane to pursue. Unfortunately, its flight characteristics are not very impressive. It's not a very fast aircraft. It is very maneuverable. That's why the Blue Angels flew it for years and years to great success. The, uh, thank you for that comment. Certainly uh, makes sense. It was a fax, by the way. Yes. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, Art. Where are you calling from? From Greenville, South Carolina. This yes, sir. Steve. Yes. Uh, good to talk to you again. Hello, Peter. Good evening. Uh, well, my comment, my question is that it doesn't matter uh, what you turn on uh, the TV today. Uh, cartoons, regular programming, commercials for tacos. Uh, we're just inundated with uh, images of, you know, flying saucers. They're, uh, they're They're being portrayed in, all, in good, bad, uh, just comical situations i mean yeah. everything i've noticed the same i i like your observation are we being uh conditioned conditioned yes art that's my question okay good it's a good one are we i'm not a specialist in this field but i think on the subject a great deal uh we have a young fellow up here who's a member of mufon who is an outstanding artist he's worked with alleged abductees and some of the images that he has drawn as described by the alleged, these abductees, are very similar to many of the characters on television. The gentleman who calls clearly has he has his mind open and his eyes open. I have to compliment him. Um, I agree with that observation. It has me wondering too. It's almost as if somebody is attempting to get us ready for something. It's but true. that is sheer surmise on my part. All right. Well, I'm glad you're willing to do a little of that anyway. <laughs> on the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, this is Michael from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Good Michael. Evening, Michael. I just have one question. I travel back and forth from Europe a couple of times every year. And is there any scenes from the European side? Do you have any uh, reports of any concentrated sightings over in Europe? All right, it's a good question. We, we get all the reports here. What about elsewhere, not just Europe, but the Orient, anywhere else? We have gotten a few international sightings, several from South America. Regrettably, I've not been able to handle them as well as I would have liked uh, because of my broken Spanish. We've taken some calls from South Africa. I was on uh, Johannesburg Radio following a major flap down there. That is one of the very frustrating things about this job is that these events are taking place but we don't yet have an infrastructure that collects all of them and disseminates them to those people who are interested well let me make them. a suggestion peter do you yet have an internet address no that's one of the things that uh, i plan to do in the very near future as we expand to put it simply art what i want to do what i am dedicated to is receiving these reports in over the telephone and through the mail uh, processing them and making them available in semi-raw form 
We strip out names, addresses, and phone numbers, of course, to guarantee anonymity. That has been a 20-year policy of the center, and we've adhered to it very successfully and plan to continue the same. But we soon, within a month or two, I hope to have an, uh, have this information on an Internet. It would be a good way to get uh, written reports worldwide. Absolutely. And uh, if we get the resource to expand this line, and I'll be talking about that shortly, we hope to be on Internet. We hope to have facts, possibly a 1-900 facts arrangement such that people can get the latest data on UFO reports. We hope to even have shortwave and we will be wired for sound, if you will. All right. That we can, if anybody sees a UFO, they'll know where to call. And if they want UFO information, they'll know where to call. Good enough. Wild card line, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hello. Hello. Good yeah. evening. My name is Larry. I'm calling from Grass Valley, California. Yes, Larry. I've been a uh, UFO enthusiast for many years, and I just wanted to uh, let people know that there are some publications. Uh, one comes from Sedona, called the Sedona Journal of Emergence. And they report on Tom Dongo down there, who is a researcher and has a team constantly scanning the night skies. And uh, the journal reports a lot of this. And, of course, the information in the journal is channeled information. In other words, these are light beings that are channeling through Earth entities reporting that information. Also, there's a publication out there now called You Are Becoming a Galactic Human, which offers an awful lot of insight into the phenomenon that... Uh, we're being exposed to and also introducing us to the idea that uh, after the summer solstice of this year, there's going to be mass landings. All right. Well, we've heard that from a number of uh, other people. There are massive uh, numbers of publications uh, out there. Are there any that you particularly prefer, Peter? I've always liked the Flying Saucer Review. I don't know if it's still published. I, I am a member of the Mutual UFO Network, so I get the UFO Journal. Uh, UFO Magazine, I am grateful to them. They just carried a short article about us. Uh, there are a lot of good publications, but what I prefer to read is the older books out of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and some of the old newspaper articles. I've got about a half a dozen very interesting newspaper articles that go back a 100 years, and those are the things that I find to be tremendously interesting. The UFO phenomenon has not changed in the 20th century from what it was or has been in the past, in my opinion. But there are a great many good publications. KUFOS, I forgot to mention them, an excellent organization. I just got a call from Mark Rodiger, who's the head of it. He and I are going to uh, be in touch here soon. They have an excellent publication, very factual. Their organization is excellent. Uh, MUFON has some good ones, too. I recommend people look into becoming members of MUFON, which is based in Texas. Right. There are a lot of good sources. All right. Here's a good question for you. With all of these uh, increasing numbers of sightings, with all of the media attention, is there some sort of critical mass point, do you suppose, where there'll be a general realization that all of this actually is going on? A critical mass. You know, that's another good question. Some people are uh, sending us some good questions. I am confused by the press. That's my question. One phenomenon I have observed over the last six months is that members of local press are fascinated with this in many cases, most cases. They love to cover it. They're calling me all the time. Members of the downtown press, the people who need hairspray to report the news, are they can't be less interested in the subject. It is a fascinating phenomenon. I don't understand it. 
Uh, <clears throat> it's happened on a number of occasions. We've we've tried to get some good, hard-nosed, factual information into the big-time press, and they just yawn and turn the other way. It, I don't understand it. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Jerry from Michigan. Yes, Jerry. Uh, where in Michigan are you? Lansing. Lansing. All right. I wanted to ask Peter if he had ever heard of any cases that maybe proved that on that these ships were coming from underground civilizations. Oh, yes, and we've had a number of reports of underground activity near Mount Shasta as well. Yes. I heard a gentleman call into your show on Thursday night at 1134, Art, uh, with his question about Mount Shasta. But let me go back to the uh, caller's question. Very good question. I have taken some very mysterious calls alleging that UFOs have been seen to sink into the ground. We had a case out here in Spokane. Right. A woman called me to report that. There have been a lot of cases. Uh, the Monterey, California Public Library has a folder on the strange sounds that are coming out of Monterey Bay, and I just got a report recently that the same thing is happening at Loma Linda. Whether those peculiar sounds, grating heavy equipment-type sounds, heard by scuba divers in the bay, has... Whether those sounds have anything to do with the UFO phenomenon, I don't know. But the question is intriguing. I wish I had a better answer for the caller. All right. Um, we, we don't have a lot of time, so let's keep moving. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Yes. Uh, my question is, uh, why were you chosen to do this work for the UFO community? All right. It is a good one. How did you, Were you chosen? Did you, were you appointed? How did you get this job? I was not appointed. I approached Bob Gribble when he decided that it was time to slowly get out of the field of UFO research, and to my great amazement and great pleasure, he said, Peter, take it over. <laughs> and if I had known what I was going to do to my life by taking responsibility for this hotline in the center, I might have reconsidered at that point. When I took it over in August of 94, I was expecting one, two, or three calls per week. I am taking one, two, or three dozen calls per day. That is what it has done to me. And that's part of the reason I am compelled to expand the hotline. We hope to do it through a newsletter. That's one of the things I would like to announce tonight before we break, Art. Um, that's one of the reasons we have to expand the center, because I feel like a 12-volt system that's being asked to carry 220 volts now. <laughs> we, have been, we have been able to do it by dint of hard work and dedication as well as donations by some very generous people up here who have seen the merits of this hotline who have been willing to chip in five ten a hundred bucks to see to it that our phone bill gets met and that we can keep doing it but why i was chosen divine intervention or not i don't know uh going back to a comment earlier this as this whole last six months on the hotline has evoked in me a tremendous interest in religion. I ha it happens to be Christianity in my case, although I have a profound respect for all religions. But uh, I don't know why I was cho chosen to do this, but it is a job that I ri rise to, a challenge that I rise to. I feel imbued with a special responsibility to my fellow American citizens. I always have. I think that's the most direct answer to the question. Okay, so how, how can they help? Well, uh, I'm going to, within the next month, going to start a monthly newsletter, which I announced earlier. Uh, if people would like to send a check for $50 to the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, that will give them 
the last six months of very informal sighting reports that I have prepared principally for MUFON meetings up here in Seattle. We have a monthly meeting in the state of Washington in MUFON. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will give them a year's subscription to our newsletter, which again will start in the next month. We have some software engineers giving me a great deal of help in getting this going. The contribution will also get you about a half a dozen very interesting newspaper articles, also extracts from Christopher Columbus's logs in 1492. I got them from the University of Washington. I have excerpts. I invite people to read Christopher Columbus's logs from his first voyage in August of 1492. And You believe that he was guided to the new land uh, by an object, don't you? I don't know, but I invite people to read what he himself had to write about what they saw over the Atlantic 503 years ago and make up their own minds. Fascinating. But he talks about a huge amount of water. Their compasses were seen to swing 120 degrees inexplicably. Any pilot, ship or aviation, knows that the magnetic compass is your most reliable instrument. They saw a, a star rise in the west and set to the east one night. That's the wrong direction for a star to fly, and there were no satellites 500 years ago. I have a very interesting article from 1893, the Tacoma Ledger. For those people who'd like to dig it out themselves, July 3rd, 1893, the Tacoma Washington Ledger. It is about an 800 or 1,000-page article about a group of fishermen who went out fishing, and they ran into what they called the electric monster. It made their watches stop. It could shoot out blue water that knocked them unconscious. Mm. And it submerged in Puget Sound, and they could see the light as it swam off. Fifty dollars, I'll send you those articles. You'll have a subscription to the uh, UFO monthly newsletter, and we will acknowledge those people who contribute fifty dollars or more as founding members for the expansion of the National UFO Hotline. I expect to be here in 20 years from now doing this job, getting this information out to... Well, in that case, you'll have a chance to be a guest here many more times. I Uh, look forward to it. West west of the Rockies, with almost no time, you're on the air with Peter Davenport. Hi. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. How are you doing? I'm okay, sir. Uh, And good evening to your guest, also, Peter. I'm calling from uh, Puyallup, Washington. Yes, good evening. And, uh, hey, uh, fascinating subject. Um, One thing I haven't heard of, though, uh, in a long time, is uh, I remember before when I used to hear UFO stories, I always heard um, uh, stuff about uh, men in black. Yep. Oh, yes. And uh, I don't hear that sort of thing associated with UFO stories anymore. I'm, I'm a, wondering a... uh, if, if it still goes on. All right, good point, good question. Uh, men in black, I remember that. Are you getting anything more about it, Peter? Uh, we don't know who the men are in black are. Are they U.S. government agents? Are they aliens? I don't know. There's a body of literature I direct the gentleman to, and... Uh, that's one of the subjects we may be talking about in the seminar that's coming up in Seattle on the 5th of March at Seattle Center. That's Sunday, the 5th of March. If they have any questions or if they'd like to come and hear some more tape recordings of calls, they can call in Seattle, 726-3935. We'll talk about men in black and other subjects as well. Well, okay, Peter. I guess that's going to about do it. Uh, do you have any final words for everybody out there who are seeing, uh, people who are seeing these things? What do you say to them? I say they should believe their eyes. Most of all, they should record accurately, factually, document what they're seeing, get friends, family members to see them. Most of all, get them on film. 
a video camera. If people have camcorders, make sure the batteries are charged. Make sure there's film in it or handy and be ready to film these things. Photographic evidence is very difficult to dispute. And most of all, give us a call if you see something. And if uh, people would like to submit past reports going back decades even, write them down on one side of one sheet of paper, typed as preferable, so we can scan it into a computer automatically. Uh, we're going to start building a database. It's one of the things computers allow us to do. And in closing, Art, I think I'd like to express my gratitude most of all to you Thank for you. your opportunity that you allowed me. Most of all to those men and women who have called the hotline. We estimate that one fewer than one in a hundred people who see a UFO will call anybody. I'm sure. Uh, to the wonderfully professional people in our government, the FAA, law enforcement people, for their cooperation. They have been wonderful. All right, Peter, that's going to have to do it. We're out of time. Thank you, and we will have you back. Thanks very much, Art. Take care. That's Peter Davenport. And uh, it was a pleasure having him on from the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington. All right, everybody, we're about out of time here. A couple of numbers for you. Well, one number. We're going to Hong Kong on vacation. Anybody wanting to come uh, to Hong Kong has got to act now. The number to call at 8 o'clock in the morning is 1-800-633-2732. 1-800-633-2732. And the other item that I want to get out, if you want a copy of this program, Send $19.50 for any Dreamland program, three hours, to the CBC Network, 744 East Pine Street, like the tree, P-I-N-E, Central Point, that's two words, Central Point, Oregon, zip code 97502. On behalf of everybody who makes this program possible, thank you all, and good night. This has been Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not mapped. Yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. Please join us again next week at this time for Dreamland.